Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. On May 20th, after nearly two weeks of violence where more than 200 people were killed, including dozens of Palestinian children, Israel and Hamas announced a ceasefire. But the effects of the conflict are still being felt in American politics, especially within the Democratic Party. A group of Jewish House Democrats are accusing Democratic Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of prejudice. The Minnesota Congresswoman tweeted, We must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. A couple weeks after the ceasefire was announced, Ilhan Omar, the progressive representative from Minnesota, sparked backlash for those comments, which she later clarified, saying she was talking about specific incidents and not making a moral comparison between Israel, Hamas, and the Taliban. A clarification that Democratic leadership said they welcomed. But the whole episode illustrated something deeper happening within the Democratic Party, which Politico's Andrew Desiderio has taken note of. The reactions we've seen from Democrats to Congresswoman Omar's latest comments are emblematic of a larger shift within the party. She has a point that she wanted to make, and she has a right to make that point. Uh, Especially with regard to the U.S.-Israel relationship, which has historically been something that has enjoyed bipartisan support in Washington, uh, but in recent years among Democrats uh, has grown uh, a little bit thin. When we're giving $4 billion a year to Israel, We should be bringing people together, not just being one-sided and say everything that Israel does is good, because it is not. And that's because some Democrats are more willing than others to criticize the Israeli government for what they perceive to be human rights abuses. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Andrew Desiderio on the new democratic politics on Israel. Uh, I know you oppose the court's investigation in both um, Palestine and in Afghanistan. I haven't seen any evidence in either cases that domestic courts can uh, both can and will prosecute alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity. So during a hearing with Secretary of State Antony Blinken, the congresswoman was talking about, in her words, unthinkable atrocities committed by different governments around the world and how the International Criminal Court is investigating various governments for uh, allegations of human rights abuses and violations and and particularly violence. And I would emphasize that in Israel and Palestine, uh, this includes crimes committed by both the Israeli security forces and Hamas. And what she did was she, in the same sentence, she grouped the US, Israel, the Taliban and Hamas, the Palestinian militant group, into basically one sentence. And a lot of people thought that she was making a false equivalence between the US and Israel, which are of course vibrant democracies, Mm -hmm. and the Taliban and Hamas, which are obviously terrorist groups. House Republicans are introducing a censure resolution condemning Congresswoman Ilan Omar and members of the so-called squad after the Minnesota Democrat posted tweets comparing the US and Israel to terrorists. 
But her broader point was that the International Criminal Court is investigating all of these governments for perceived uh, or, or allegations of human rights abuses. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of Democrats, uh, Jewish Democrats in particular, came out and swiftly condemned her for it. And we also saw a, a statement of condemnation from the top six House Democratic leaders which is very rare for all six of them to come out with a joint statement together. House Democrats took the unusual step today of denouncing one of their own. In a statement today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other top leaders asserted Democrats' support for Israel and pressured Omar to apologize. The controversy has since kind of died down because what we've seen is that more and more Democrats have grown comfortable rushing to her defense uh, on these issues. And I think that that is what is emblematic of this broader shift within the party when it comes to the historically bipartisan doctrine of of the U.S.-Israel relationship. How significant would you say this shift is? It is significant, and that is because what we're seeing is a generational divide. You're seeing older Democrats in particular still fall back to the traditions of the U.S.-Israel relationship in which criticism of our our counterparts in Israel uh, was not, those criticisms were never really made public. They were never, um, you know, so biting in their nature. Uh, everybody sort of realized that Israel, as, as the only democracy in the Middle East and our closest ally in the region, had to be unequivocally supported. And that is still something that is obviously the, the majority view here in Washington, both on Capitol Hill uh, and, and across Washington. But what's happened is that more and more Democrats have grown more comfortable with criticizing the actions of the Israeli government, which are perceived by many to be uh, human rights abuses, including evictions of Palestinians from their homes in East Jerusalem, the Israeli government's various settlement activities, things like that. And that is sort of what's been prompting this louder wave of criticism. And it's it's in particular coming from younger Democrats. This is our business because we are playing a role in it. And the United States must acknowledge its role in the injustice and human rights violations of Palestinians. It's something where you're seeing the older, older Democrats, the old guard of the party, uh, you know, staying rigid in their ways. But then there's this new wave of Democrats coming through who are more willing to criticize the Israeli government. And, you know, they're pushing back on this idea that it is anti-Semitic to criticize the policies of, of an ally or a friend like Israel. Mm-hmm. So we know that Omar and other young progressive members of, of the so-called squad are among the lawmakers who are criticizing the country. Who are some of the more old guard Democratic lawmakers you mentioned who are staunch in their support of Israel? Well, it's people like the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer in particular, has always been a strong and steadfast supporter of Israel. Uh, he usually in in non-pandemic years, organizes a trip of House Democrats, mostly freshmen, to Israel to sort of educate them about the U.S.-Israel relationship. So he's someone who is really serious about this and has been, uh, you know, at the forefront internally, if we're talking about Democrats and Democratic leadership in particular on this issue. Mm. At the same time that this split and this shift is happening with Dems, Israel itself is undergoing a pretty dramatic political shift with a new prime minister, Neftali Bennett, replacing Netanyahu. 
How do you see that factoring into the future of U.S.-Israeli relations, especially considering these new democratic dynamics? Well, it could certainly make things harder for Joe Biden. Um, you know, Prime Minister Bennett is thought to be more of, even more of a hardliner than, for example, Prime Minister Netanyahu, with whom Biden and other Democrats have had issues with over the years. Um, but, you know, it, it remains to be seen what's going to happen uh, in terms of the U.S.-Israel relationship when it comes to these two leaders. But I think the relationship itself is stronger than you know, the whims of any political leader or any political party. Thinking about what the relationship between Biden and Bennett could be makes me think back to President Trump and his relationship with Netanyahu um, and Trump's hardline support for conservative Israeli politics throughout his presidency. Like, do you think some of the increasing willingness to criticize Israel we're seeing right now is connected at all to the connections Trump created between his brand of the Republican Party and the country? Yeah, there's this criticism out there that Donald Trump's close relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu uh, made people uneasy because it it's it basically, uh, you know, younger people looked up and they saw that Trumpism was being associated with with Israel like that, in that the leaders of the two countries were, you know, buddy buddy with each other and that they were supporting one another. Uh, and that, you know, the U.S. was in particular supporting under Trump was supporting the policies very forcefully of the Netanyahu government, which many Democrats here in the United States uh, did not support. And what we're seeing is there are obviously two new leaders in both countries. We have Joe Biden, who's the president now, and you have Naftali Bennett, who is the prime minister now uh, in Israel. And, you know, I think that just goes to show that uh, despite what people see in the moment with two leaders on the world stage interacting and their personalities and their policy goals and differences, uh, the, the nature of the relationship is one that it's, it's consistent enough to weather those political storms. Andrew Desiderio, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, of course. You got it. Also today, the Biden administration is imposing a new wave of sanctions targeting Belarusian individuals and entities tied to the arrest of an opposition journalist detained after a commercial flight was forced to land in Belarus last month. The new sanctions were launched in coordination with Canada, the UK, and the EU on Monday and include visa restrictions imposed by the State Department on 46 Belarusian officials for, quote, involvement in undermining or injuring institutions in Belarus, making them generally ineligible to enter the U.S. The move adds to penalties the Biden administration already imposed last month in response to the flight incident. And it is officially election day in New York City, where voters are choosing the person who will almost certainly be the city's next mayor in the Democratic primary. Among the candidates are Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who's been pulling ahead of the other more moderate candidates, including Catherine Garcia and Andrew Yang, and the more progressive-leaning candidates like Maya Wiley. This is the first time New Yorkers will use ranked choice voting, where they'll choose up to five candidates in order of preference, and the winner will be chosen after several rounds of eliminations. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, leave a rating and review and tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.